Hey, I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here at Hofeld Church. And once again, I'm coming to you from the lobby of our Saginaw campus. I wanna thank you for logging on and joining us for our online worship experience this weekend. As we begin to take steps of gathering back together physically, I continue to be thankful that we can worship together virtually all throughout the Great Lakes Bay region and beyond. And I wanna welcome any of you who are new to Hopewell and joining us here for the first time. We're glad you've jumped in. It has been great meeting new friends like you in this season. If you wanna find out more about us or if you wanna let us know you've stopped by, I encourage you to go to our welcome page at hopewell.org new. You can fill out a virtual visitor's card there as a great way to get in touch with us and we'll let you know about the latest happenings here and how you can connect further here at Hopewell. Speaking of that, this week we've updated the COVID-19 info page on our website. It's now called our relaunch page where you can keep up to date on all the ways we're turning the dial toward reopening this summer as soon as possible and as safe as possible. Also for parents and kids, you can find some great family resources there as well that you can download to do at home. Well, today, Pastor Sam is gonna continue our June series with a message called Learning to Love Better. It's one of the big lessons that God laid on Sam's heart over these last few months, and it's a lesson that's very relevant for the world we're living in right now. So with that in mind, let's begin our time of worship with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. And Heavenly Father, we invite you once again into our homes and into our hearts because we want to give you and you deserve all the worship that we have. So Father, thank you that we get to celebrate our hope in Jesus Christ, who is the victor over death, over sin, over the grave, and over every obstacle that we face. We trust today that Jesus, you would flood our hearts through the songs, through the prayers, through the message, and every experience that we're going to share together. Because Jesus, we look to you. And as we're learning to love better, we're reminded that we love Jesus because you first loved us. So we can't wait to see what you have in store for us in this time together. And so we pray with great faith and expectancy in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, everybody, thanks for logging in. I'm Billy. Hey, we're going to sing this song uh, that we've been singing for, I don't know, the past year or so that uh, we've just been loving so much. It's got this line in this bridge. It says this, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. And I think there's a, an acknowledgement of God's grace, his blessing, I think, that we can all realize when we come to worship. God gives. He's a, he's a good God that gives. And... Um, uh, we don't want to take that for granted. You know, we don't want to be a people that um, just are be like, yeah, that's cool. I, I got what I need. I'm good. But we want to be a people that when we gather for worship and when we live our lives, we want to be a people that say, you know what, God, I don't want to take anything for granted. I realize everything I have comes from you and I'm going to thank you for it. And I'm going to worship you for it. That's the heart of Hopevale Church. That's the heart of our our of who we are, of, of just wanting to say thank you to the Lord. So let's do that together as destiny leads us. Take us in, Matthew. Here we go.
Search the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and you put me back together. Is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, that's a sin. Oh, there's
the only one who can turn our mourning into dancing. He's the only one that can take our burdens and our hurts and our sorrows and use it for his glory to bring about his purpose. Here's the thing. The secret ingredient, the active agent, we have to lay it at his feet. We have to take it to him. You see, holding on to our hurts and our fears will not bring about our healing. It might give us a false sense of control for a little while, but it won't bring about our healing. James 4, 7 through 8 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. During this time in lockdown, I've been studying in James, and my paraphrase of that goes a little bit like this. Surrender your will to God. Let that obedience be like a protective coating covering you, allowing you to stand your ground against the devil. Snuggle up close to Jesus, and he will come even closer to you. He will even reach down and touch your heart. As we sing this next song and consider how the uncertainty of the world may leave us overwhelmed, let's use it as a time to draw near to God. For he and he alone will never leave you nor forsake you. Surrender to him. He is our fortress when we are on our knees. So let's humble ourselves before the Lord and he might reach down and touch our hearts. This life has overwhelmed me And I feel like giving up I will cling to all you've promised You will always be enough When the world around me It's hard to understand I will run to you, my shelter I am safe within your hands You are my help forever I will not fear God, you are with me I know you're near, you'll never leave me. I will trust in you alone. When I'm broken in the
so thankful that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And I'm thankful for your name that we can hold on to it and trust in it. And I pray, God, that you would help us to have open hearts and open minds as Pastor Sam presents your word, that we would grow and allow you to prune us and change us and make us into the loving people that you want us to be. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Awesome time of worship we've had today already. I'm Sam Burke. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, I was just thinking about this this morning. About three months ago, I stood on this very stage and I preached the very first message from lockdown. And back then, we had no idea what to expect. And here we are three months later. What a bizarre three months it has been. And I don't know about you, but these past few months have not only been bizarre and difficult for us, but uh, they've really pushed me to ask a, a really big question of myself. And that question goes something like this. How will I be different? How will I be different? Or, or maybe a better way to think about it is how will I be better for having gone through this season of my life? And so I've been dwelling on that question for a little while. And then Pastor Dan asked a bunch of us pastors, he said, hey, we all want to do a series in June called Lessons from Lockdown. And uh, I, I, about what we're learning and about um, how maybe we can share this with the church congregation so that we can all learn together. And my mind began to race to all the different things that I have been learning. Um, things like this. I've learned that our school teachers are severely underpaid and severely underappreciated for what they do. And every single one of you parents who's been um, being a teacher at home knows what I'm talking about and will shout a big amen. And if you are a school teacher at home, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And if you are my kids teacher, I want to say I don't understand how you handle my kids for that many hours a day. I just don't. But <laughs> it is what it is. Um, I've also learned this. I've learned that there are things in my life that I would have deemed as essential that um, no longer get to be essential, or maybe we can just Google it. I'm just kidding. Uh, I just had to poke fun at that. Um, I've also learned this. I've learned that if I turn my guitar amplifier up just one more decibel in my basement, my wife may take all of my guitars and gear out to the curb to sell them or give them away. In fact, I probably better hurry this up because I don't want her to do that while I'm here. Um, and some of you might think that's a joke. That's not a joke. Uh, <laughs> Um, I've also learned this on a more serious note. I've learned that some people just can't help but turning everything into a political fight, especially on Facebook. Um, I've also learned that um, the first thing that any great leader does is to listen. I've learned that. But the biggest lesson I've learned and the one that I want to talk about today is this. I've learned, for me personally, that I have got to get better at loving my neighbors. I've got to get better at loving my neighbors. Now, here's the thing. I don't not love my neighbors. But I began to think about this whole thing differently about a month ago. 
You know, if you were to come up to me and you were to ask me, Sam, do you love your neighbors? I would say, absolutely I do. And then I would probably give some kind of a list to try to justify that claim. But if you were then to take that same question and go across the street or next door to my neighbors and ask them, hey, you know that guy across the street or next door and you know his family? Do you think they love you? Now, after the initial shock wears off and the awkwardness of asking that really bizarre question, after that all goes away, I got to tell you, I'm not sure how they would respond. You know, I'm not sure that they would answer that question with a positive response. And it's not because I've done things to them that scream, I hate you, to them. No, because more often than not, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's probably more that I just haven't done anything. I mean, to be honest, last week I met one of my neighbors for the very first time face-to-face, and they've lived there since November. So a lot of times the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is actually more often than not indifference or inaction. You know, and that's just the people that I would call neighbors on my street, not to mention who Jesus defines as my neighbor. See, here's the deal. And I just want to get very personal here for a second, just okay. I think, I think we give ourselves an out sometimes when it comes to loving others. Or, or we put conditions on it. We think things like, well, I don't not love my neighbor, but, and then we think things. Or, or we say we love our neighbor, but if you were to follow our actions, our actions actually, actually show something else. Our actions actually show that we, we love, our, love our neighbor if, and then you know, fill in the blank, if they believe like I do, if they look like I do, if they vote like I do, if loving them doesn't violate my personal rights, liberties, or freedoms, or if it only marginally inconveniences me, not terribly inconveniences me, or, or if it seems to be fair to me in return, then I'll love my neighbor. Now, I have, I have three kids. Uh, my oldest son is Nicholas. He's going to be 14 in September. And my middle son, Jonathan, is 11. And when Nick was very little, all, you know, we, we saw this at, like probably two years old. As, you know, as old as he was, we were able to understand his personality. Um, he's always been a kid who has this justice, fairness, correctness, right thing going on with him. He, everything has to be fair, just, and right, and correct. And then along came his brother, Jonathan. And as they grew up together, you know, as Jonathan got into kindergarten and first grade, we started noticing that Jonathan had some special needs, and he started getting diagnosed with some things. And we had, as parents, Sarah and I had to do some accommodations for him with his behavior to help, you know, to, to help him with it. And we had to do some accommodations for him at school. And some of these accommodations kind of rubbed our son Nick the wrong way and rubbed his justice and fairness thing the wrong way. And he would say things often early on like, well, that isn't fair. How come Jonathan gets this, but I don't? And, or how come um, you treat Jonathan this way, but this is how I... And, and it just started rubbing him the wrong way. And we, we've been trying to show our son Nick, and he's been growing in this, that, that loving somebody isn't always about fairness. But it's about serving and sacrificing what's best for us, for what's best for somebody else who's in need. And, and one of the lessons I hope my kids learn as they grow up is that sometimes the most loving thing that we can ever do as a human being is to lay aside our personal rights and our personal freedoms for the sake of somebody else who is in need. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab it, physical or digital, whatever you've got, grab it. And I want you to find the Gospel of Luke. It's in the New Testament. It's the third book in of the New Testament. Or if you just want to follow along on the screen with me, you can do that too. Um, We're going to explore this whole idea of what it means to learn to love better. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 10. And here's the thing. Even if you don't know hardly anything about the Bible, if, even if you're brand new to the Bible, you've probably heard this story or a version of this story. And it's going to be really easy because you know the story and because you probably know how the story ends to just jump right to the ending and say, well, I already know this. I already know how this ends. I already know how this goes. So we're going to put that aside. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to suspend what we know about this story for a little while. And what I want us to do today is I want to take this very familiar story and I want us to line it up with our current reality. I want us to line it up with what's going on right now in our history. And I don't want us to miss the message of what this has for us today because of our familiarity with the story. 
Pastor Andy Stanley wrote a quote in one of his books that I think addresses this perfectly. I've used it in several contexts, but I think in this context, it speaks loud and clear. His quote is this. He says, time in erodes awareness of. Basically, our familiarity with things causes us to miss little tiny nuances that maybe if we were new to it, we would see. And I think that's exactly what happens with this story. We're so familiar with this story we're going to read that we can miss some of what the little nuances that make it come alive for us right uh, right today. So I just want you to hold off on going to the end of the story. We're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan today. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Okay, so here it is. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, that, that uh, phrase there, expert in the law, it doesn't mean he was a lawyer, okay? He wasn't like standing in defense for somebody. It basically meant that he was someone who was well-studied in the first five books of the Old Testament. And he knew them backwards and forwards. He was the religious expert of his day, and he had the respect of the people as it relates to that information. So he stands up, and he wants to test Jesus, and he asks him a question. This is the question he asks him. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he's not asking this question because he doesn't know the answer to the question. In fact, he's actually asking this question because he does know the answer, and he wants to see how Jesus is going to answer this. He actually wants to to trap Jesus, and he wants to make Jesus look like a fool in front of all the people that he's around and go, look, I'm the expert. This guy you've been following around doesn't know anything. So he asks this question. Now, Jesus doesn't fall for this because he knows what this guy is trying to do. So look what Jesus says back to him. He says, what is written in the law? Is a question he asks. How do you read it? Now, if you just read this straightforward, you kind of read it, what is it, what's written in the law? How do you read it? I want to believe, though, that Jesus had a little more sarcasm in his voice when he asked these questions. Because here's this expert in the law asking him a leading question that he already knows the answer to. I want to read it like this. I, want to, I think Jesus said it more like this. Well, you're the expert. You don't know the answer to this question? Come on. Okay, so Mr. Expert, why don't you go ahead, since you already know the answer, why don't you answer it for everybody? How do you read it? Please show off your expertise, which this guy falls right into because he is so full of himself. He's so arrogant. He loves being the answer person. So this is what he says. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He's like that kid. Those of you guys who are elementary students or maybe middle school, high school kids, he's like that kid in your class who when the teacher asks the question, they raise their hand, they pop up, they answer the question, then they look around the class and they go, yep, nailed it. Did everybody see how I answered that question? They sit back down full of pride, patting themselves on the back. That's this guy right here. And Jesus knows that's this guy. And so he answers this and he looks around and goes, see, that's how the expert answers the question. And he questions. And Jesus says this to him. And I love it. And I want to read it in a very sarcastic voice because I think that's how it was. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Kind of like, Way to go. Here's your gold star. Here's a cookie. (laughs) Way to go. Jesus says this. But then he gives his mic drop moment, and everybody in the crowd goes, because this is what he says. He says, good job. Way to answer it correctly. You did. Do this, and you will live. And everybody in the crowd goes, oh. (laughs) Because Jesus is pointing out, you have all the right answers, but your actions don't back it up. He says, do this, and you will live. And the reason we know that this was that kind of a moment is because this guy gets defensive immediately. Look how he responds. It says he wants to justify himself. He's backed into a corner. He's like, wait a second. Hold on. I don't do this. I got to tell these people why because I'm the expert and they look to me, they, they respect me, so I got to justify why I don't do this. So he tries to justify himself, and so he asks this question. And who's my neighbor? Jesus, how can you even know? who your neighbor is. I mean, is it this person? Is it this person? Is it this person? And I love that Jesus doesn't answer this question directly the way he wants to. He doesn't say, you know, Bob across the street is your neighbor or Karen down the road who writes snarky stuff on Facebook. That's your neighbor. No, he answers it a different way because he wants to teach this guy something and he wants to teach all of us who are listening something. Look what he says. He tells a story. He says, in reply... Jesus says, a man was going down from Jericho, or from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, as soon as he said those words, everybody in the crowd went, oh, no. Because this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a famous road. It was famous for people getting robbed, for people getting mugged, for people getting killed, and everybody knew it. So as soon as he said it, people were like, don't do it. Don't walk down that road. And then Jesus says this. He says, 
when he was attacked by robbers. And everybody goes, I told you that was going to happen. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And this poor, poor guy is there by himself. And so the people are wondering, who's going to save him? Well, how's this going to happen? And look what he says next. He says, a priest, and everybody starts cheering. And they go, yes, the good guy is here. He's the hero of the story. The priest was the, the spiritual leader of the day. It's kind of like a pastor of a church nowadays. The priest happened to be going down the same road. And I would like to think, with the way Jesus told it in people's minds, it was that he was going maybe backwards. He's going from Jericho up to Jerusalem to go to the temple. And so he's happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He didn't do anything. Now, I think the people in the crowd automatically give the priest a pass because they're going, okay, well, he's going to maybe going to the temple and he's got to pray for the people. And, you know, to touch this man, maybe he's bloodied or whatever, to touch this man would make him unclean. And so, and he wouldn't be ceremonially clean to do the things he needs to do. And yeah, that guy, this guy's life matters, but what about all the other people? So he's got to go do that thing. And so they give him a pass maybe. And they're like, okay, well, somebody else will come along and save him. So then Jesus goes, all right, verse 32, so to a Levite. So if the priest was like the spiritual leader, a Levite, if we're going to use today's equivalent, would be like a churchgoer or someone who claims to be a Christian. It's a very spiritual like person. So a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. And I'm sure everybody in the crowd's kind of going, wait, hold on. So the, the priest didn't help him and didn't love this guy or didn't, you know, help him. The, the Levite didn't help him. Maybe they still loved him in their heart. Maybe they still prayed for him. You know, and maybe they're giving these guys a pass too. Maybe they're all going to the same place. They're going, all going to have a service. Maybe, you know, the, the priest said, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you as he passed by and went to the, the church service. And, you know, here they are. And then the priest says to all the people gathered there, I saw this man. He was by the side of the road. He was beaten up. And we should pray for him. And maybe we should pray that, you know, God would send somebody to help this man. I say that facetiously, but I think you get where Jesus is going here with this. He's pointing out these religious people and how they know the right answers, but they're not doing the right thing. And then he says this, verse 33. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now just pause for a second. This is huge, and the reason it's huge is because the Jewish people hated the Samaritan people. This was racism at its core. They hated them. They wanted nothing to do with them. They treated them like they were less than human. Samaria is located right in between the northern and southern part of Israel. And Jewish people hated the Samaritans so much that they wouldn't even want to step foot in their land. They didn't want to go through there to go to the northern part or the southern part of Israel. In fact, they would cross the Jordan River and go around just to get, you know, to stay away from them, to avoid them. That's how much they disdained them and hated them. And so Jesus tells them, hey, guess what? The hero of our story today is the very person that you hate, the person that you think believes the wrong thing, the person who you think has the wrong ideology, the person who lives a lifestyle that's very different than yours. I'm going to use them as the hero of your story. And everybody gasps because they're thinking, a Samaritan can't be the hero. But Jesus says, look, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. Look at the next verse. It says, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Look at verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii, or two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asks a very important question, verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And this is where, if we're familiar with the story, we auto automatically go, well, yeah, it's the person who cared. And so our neighbor is someone who is, you know, we meet, someone who we're next to, anybody that we come in contact who we're supposed to love them. And that is the point of the story. But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's starting to point out something big. He's pointing out to this man and to everybody who's sitting there that having the right answers isn't all there is. That if you have the right answers, but you don't have the right actions, then you're in the wrong. And so he says this, the man who has asked this direct question, who do you think was a neighbor? This man has to answer this question. He's put in this corner. He's like, well, Jesus, what am I supposed to say? I can't say the priest and the Levite. You obviously don't want that to be the right answer. 
But look at the hatred and the racism still in this man's heart. Because this is how he replies. He says, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even muster enough courage to say the Samaritan. He has that much. And, and it's like Jesus is saying, you're missing the point by saying the one. You missed the whole story, man. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says something that shocks everybody because he says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and follow the actions of the person you don't agree with, the person that you don't like, the person that you think is worse than a human being, the, the person who you don't believe the same stuff with, that you don't have the same lifestyle choices. That Go and do likewise like that person is doing. And I, I think what Jesus is doing, he's doing several things, but one of the main things he's teaching us through this story is that if someone who, who doesn't know any better, this Samaritan, someone who doesn't know any better, can love his neighbor like this, then how much worse is it for someone who does know better and doesn't do it? So I think that's what he's pointing out here. He's saying, look, the priest and the Levite, they know better. They know the Old Testament law. They know the answer that you just said, yet they're not doing it. See, if having the right answers doesn't lead us to the right actions, then it's not right. If having the right answers doesn't lead us to the right actions, then it's not right. Our actions speak louder than our answers. Our Christ-like actions speak way louder than our churchy answers do. And he shows us through this story our prejudices and our excuses for not loving our neighbor in our actions are proving a deeper, more internal sin issue. And more often than not, this sin issue is all about self. It's self-focused. It's ultimately about me. It's about my liberties, my rights, my health, my well-being, my finances. And so Jesus was trying to get this man to come face-to-face -face with his own self-righteousness. And trying to help him understand that just knowing the right answers isn't enough. See, friends, our own self-righteousness and our own self-preservation is one of the main things that keeps us from loving our neighbor better. But Jesus is trying to show us a different and a better way to live. It's the way that the Apostle Paul puts it when he describes the attitudes of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Look what he says here. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, look at these words, value others above yourselves. Look at verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And then he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what was that mindset? He describes it. He says, who being in very nature God, there's his rights. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Look at this next verse. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He laid aside those rights. Jesus laid aside his rights and his privileges out of love for you and for me, and he became a servant. See, he did not out of his own rights look to be served, but he looked to serve and to love. And I think Jesus shows us through this story and through this description in Philippians chapter 2 that our Christ-like love should always eclipse our civil liberties. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not saying that our liberties are not important. They are, especially those of us, you know, we're Americans, we have these civil liberties, They're, they are very important. But here's what I am saying. If those liberties lead us away from loving somebody else, it's not right. It's not right. Our Christian liberty, our Christ-like Christ love should always eclipse our civil liberties. But we may think, well, I have the right to do that. I'm free to do that. And that's very true. But I think a more important question from what I'm learning myself to ask, instead of making those kind of statements, is the question, is this question, is this loving somebody else? Are my actions what love actually requires of me here in this situation? Especially towards those who are the most vulnerable, 
who are the most oppressed and most excluded among us. And more importantly than that, more importantly than if I think it's love for that person is this, do they see it as love? Do they see it as love? You know, I can justify my inaction and I can still call it love, but others won't. You know, one of my Facebook friends posted this quote on her Facebook wall from another pastor, and it hit me pretty hard. And the quote went something like this. Love your neighbor should be done in a way that your atheist neighbor would also call it love. Man, when I read that, it hit me (laughs) really hard. You know, and, and in the current climate we live in, especially here in America, I think we can think of that sentence in many different ways. But I have two very specific applications I want us to think of it in. First one is this. Love your neighbor should be done in a way that your black neighbor would also call it love. I just want to let that one sink in for a little bit. Love your neighbor should be done in a way that your black neighbor would also call it love. You know, in the midst of this pandemic, I think this next application is also very true. Love your neighbor should be done in a way that your health-compromised and health-vulnerable neighbor would also call it love. One of the most incredible things... And one of the most loving things that we could ever do as a human being is to lay aside our own personal rights and our own personal liberties out of love for somebody else. So here's the question. What should we do? What should we do? How can we begin to make sure that our answers and our actions are lining up together? Well, I have a few thoughts. My first thought is this. I think we need to take a long look in the mirror. I think we need to take a long look in the mirror. You know, I think we need to allow Jesus' words to evaluate our hearts, our motives, those little places in our lives where we don't really love our neighbor, but we would never say it. We need to allow Jesus' words of this story and how he lived his life to evaluate all those little places in our lives. And don't justify our motives or our behaviors or our indifference. I think we can get angry about them, Not that they're exposed, but because they're there. And we should get angry about the fact that they are there. But I think we need to pray about them. We need to call them out for what they are. And we need to actively seek to uproot them and replace them with love. So we need to take a long look in the mirror because it all starts with us. My second thought is this. We need to educate ourselves on what it means to love our neighbor. Educate ourselves on what it means to love our neighbor. One of the most important things, if we're going to educate ourselves, that we can do in this is we can listen. We can listen. We can listen to what would speak love to your neighbor. Find out what they need. Not what, they, not what we think that they need, but what they actually need. The Good Samaritan, he comes up to this man and he assesses the situation. He, he listens to the needs of the man and then he was able to meet those needs. See, if we're going to love our neighbor then we must allow ourselves to be educated on what our neighbor needs from us. Not what we tell them they need or not what we even think that they need, but what they actually need. And so in order to do that, we must listen and we must learn and we must educate ourselves on how we can love our neighbor. And, you know, we can do both of those things and it would be very good, but these alone are not enough. Evaluation and education alone are not enough. We have to do something with them. And so the third thought is this. We need to act out of love. We need to act out of love. 1 John 3.18 says this. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't settle for just having the right answers and then justifying why you can't have the right actions. You know, last Tuesday I had the opportunity to, um, to go and walk alongside hundreds of people in our city who were protesting the senseless, racist violence against black people in our country. And I did it. I want to be clear and, and, and say why I did it. I did it because I, as a 40-year-old white man with, white fam- with a white family, have no idea what it's like to experience system- systemic uh, oppression. I don't. I have no idea what that's like. But I knew that I needed to learn, and I needed to educate myself. I needed to listen, and I needed to love my black neighbors in a way that they would call it love. And so for me, I'm just speaking about me, for me, 
an Instagram post or a Facebook post was good, but it wasn't quite good enough for me. It was like me knowing the right answer to do, but not actually doing something about it. And so for me, showing up at the protest or that march was an act of me loving my neighbor. For me, it wasn't a political statement, but it was way more of a personal statement that I wanted to say, I am about loving my neighbor and whatever it takes for me to do that. For me, teaching my children about racism and the need for racial equality and calling out racism in our own lives and family, it's an act of me loving my neighbor and starting with me and my own family. And so I want us to to begin to take steps where we can act out of love for our neighbor. Don't settle for just having the right answers and justifying why you can't have the right actions. See, when it comes to loving our neighbor, we can't just know about it, and we can't just talk about it. We have to be about it. Our Christ-like actions speak louder than our churchy answers. And so, friends, we cannot, we cannot stand by in indifference and inaction and still say we love our neighbors. We can do better. We can follow Christ's lead, and we can learn to love better. Let's pray together. God, um, I thank you so much for this story, for pointing out that love isn't just about knowing the right answer, for using the example of someone who maybe even didn't even know the right answer but did it anyway, but loved anyway. And Jesus, you have called for us to go and do likewise. God, we are, we're living in a climate right now in our world where there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of craziness. We have a pandemic, a virus, we have um, racism and protests and all of these things. And Jesus, you have asked us and commanded us to love our neighbor as ourself. And you've called us into action. God, I pray that we would would take a look in the mirror and find out all the places where we don't love our neighbor. That we would call those things out in our own lives, in our own family's lives, and we would say, you know what? We need to be about loving our neighbors. We need to get rid of that. And not justify moments of inaction and indifference. And God, we we need to take those steps of educating. What what does our neighbor need? How can we really love them? And what would actually speak love to them that they would call it love? And then Jesus, help us take steps of action where we can find out it's not just about knowing the right answers, but it's having the right actions too. Jesus, help us to be a church that follows your example of even laying down our own self things in order to pursue others and advance the cause of others. Jesus, help us to be more like you in our relationships with one another and our relationships with our neighbor. Help us to love our neighbors better. In Jesus' name.
Help me to love with open arms like you do. I love that line from the song because it's both a hope of aspiration and a prayer of desperation. Knowing this is who I want to become by the grace of Jesus, while at the same time realizing I need his help because I have so far to go. Well, a few reminders before we close. First of all, things are continuing to change around here, so please stay connected with us through our website, through our mobile app, and through our social media channels. Second, I want to say thank you to all of you who are continuing to give to the Lord through the ministry of Hope Health. So many of you have been incredibly faithful and generous in this season, and please know that your giving is making an eternal difference in the lives of people and meeting needs in our community. Again, if you feel led to give, you can do so through our website, hopefell.org give. Through our mobile app, you can do it with a text. Just text the word HOPEL to 77977. You can also mail your offering to our Saginaw Ministry Center or drop it off there directly. Looking ahead, I want you to mark your calendars for a very special event that's coming up later this month. That on Saturday, June 27th, beginning at 7 p.m., we're hosting an all-church outdoor worship event at our Saginaw campus led by Pastor Billy and our worship teams. We will gather responsibly and we will worship joyfully. And I can't wait to see you there in person. Finally, next week, Nate Murray, our campus pastor in Bay City, will continue our Lessons from Lockdown series with a message called Learning to Trust Completely. We've talked some about what he's going to share, and let me tell you, it's going to be great. Trust me, you won't want to miss it. So until next time, may God bless you as you head into your week. Stay healthy, be hopeful, and spread the love of Jesus to the world around you just as he has first and forever loved you.